John chapter 3, this morning, as we um, conclude our emphasis on missions, and I just realized I have a mint in my mouth. I need to take that out. Excuse me. Um, it's not going to be good if I try to preach with that in my mouth. Anyway, um, as we're in John chapter 3, uh, as we conclude our uh, missions emphasis month, what we've been doing is looking at different aspects of scripture that would encourage us or challenge us uh, to be about our mission, not just in giving an offering, but actually in getting involved in the mission in the church. And um, the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple of things um, that I think if we truly had an understanding of them, uh, we would um, get involved in the mission of the church, not just through an offering, but actually sharing the gospel. And that is, we looked at um, hell two weeks ago. We looked at the realities of hell from Scripture, and then last week, we looked at heaven. But this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. And what I mean by different is we're going to look at a simple gospel presentation for each and every one of us to use using just one verse of Scripture. And it's a verse of Scripture that I would say the most of the people in this room have memorized. Most everyone in this room have memorized or at least have a good sense of it. And the reason why is because statistically, I want you to hear these statistics this morning so you'll understand where I'm coming from. Statistically, less than 5% of Southern Baptist church members will share their faith this year with anyone. Like that ought to get your attention. If we had 100 people in here, that means five of us would share our faith. Statistically, five people out of 100 that are Southern Baptists are going to share their faith. Another statistic is that less than 25% of American evangelical Christians will share their faith ever. Not just this year. So think about that. 25% of American Christians will ever share their faith in their lifetime. Church, I, I don't know how else to say this other than if we're not sharing our faith with other people, we are not actively pursuing the accomplishment of our mission. The church was established not to just be a place to come to, to sit together, to open God's word together, to sing some music together and exalt Christ. All good things, but the church was instituted to encourage one another, to challenge one another, and to equip one another to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. If we're not doing that, then we are not the church that God's called us to be. I don't care what else the church does. The church can have great discipleship. The church can have great fellowship. The church can be good at prayer. But if the church is not actively pursuing, advancing the gospel, then that church is not the church that God has called them to be. Now, you say, that's, that's, that's a pretty bold statement. That's not really my statement. That's what Scripture says. Well, where does Scripture say that? Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28. 
And nowhere did Jesus say, hey, build a building and come sit together and sing a bunch of songs and preach a bunch of sermons and go home. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said to go ye therefore into all nations, making disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the commission Jesus gave us. And then if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul does probably the greatest example from Scripture of what the church is all about, if in Ephesians 4, Paul begins to explain to the church in Ephesus how the church functions and what they're supposed to be about. And the way he does this is by telling them about pastors, teachers, evangelists, those kind of people in the church, and how they were specifically given to the church as gifts. I know that may sound hard for some to believe, but yes, your pastor or teacher or preacher is a gift to you from God for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so a church that has less than 5% of its people sharing their faith is not the church God's called them to be. I don't care what else we do. If we are not sharing the gospel, then we're not the church God's called us to be. Period. And so what do we do? Because there are a lot of reasons out there for why we don't share our faith. I've heard many of them, and I've, I've experienced Guys, listen to me. This is not me preaching at you. This is also a message for me, okay? Because I'll be honest with you. God's got a great sense of humor. I am an introvert. If you don't know what that means, I like being by myself. I like being alone. I'm one of the very few people that I know that actually enjoys going to the golf course by themselves. And actually, in a lot of ways, would prefer to go by myself. But I have some extrovert tendencies, and that's what God has kind of used in my ministry. But I'm not an extrovert. I'm not the guy. I, I had this conversation with a pastor one time when I was on his staff, and he, he tried to convince me I was wrong. And I said, take it up with God. He's the one that made me this way. And he didn't like that very much. But he, he wanted me to be the guy that when I was in the room, I was the what we call in football, the brouhaha guy, the one that's loud and everybody is attracted to. And I just told him, I said, that's not my personality. I'm a lot better one-on-one -on -one individually. He said, well, I went to your church at Lone Grove and I saw everybody come up and talk to you. And I said, do you not realize I was there for six years and I administered for six years personally with these people? You build a relationship with them. It's not because they were naturally, oh, this is our pastor and he's loud and rambunctious and everybody likes him. It's because I developed relationships with them. There's a big difference. And so I understand what it's like to, to, to experience some of these reasons why we don't share our faith. So this is not a message of me preaching at you. This is a message I need to hear as well. But here's some of those excuses. Some people don't share their faith because of fear. That's the most common one by far. They're afraid of being rejected. Uh, they're afraid maybe of speaking out loud. Uh, that we do have people, I've met people who are uncomfortable talking, particularly in large groups. Um, I've also known people that aren't real good at talking one-on-one. -on -one. I actually know someone in my life that's a lot better standing in front of a large group of people than he is talking one-on-one. -on -one. 
He's nervous talking one-on-one, but in a large group, he's comfortable. I know others that in a large group are uncomfortable, but one-on-one are very comfortable. You see what I'm saying? So some people are just afraid to do that. Others uh, say they lack opportunity. When I was a youth pastor, I heard that a lot. I used to have students that tell me, well, all my friends go to church. Really? All your friends go to church? Yep. What about so, 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 so? Are they not your friends? Uh, yeah, well, they don't go to church anywhere. Oh. <laughs> so you, you, sometimes I'd hear that from students. I also hear that a lot of times, and I'll be honest with you, I hear this one a lot from senior adults. And, and they probably are closer to being truthful than youth are. But I, I hear that. I, I lack opportunity. All my friends are going to church. All my friends are believers. Uh, some excuses are I'm too busy. Some, to be honest with you, we would never say this, but it, it, it's, a, it's a reason. Is Sometimes we're just apathetic about it. We just don't think about it. It's not really on the forefront of our mind every day when we meet people. It's just not something we think about. When we see people, a lot of times... We don't see them as people that God loves, that God wants to have a relationship with. He sent his son to die for. That's not a process sometimes that our minds go through. We just look at them, we talk to them, and that never really enters our mind. And that's from a sense in some ways of being apathetic about it. But as again, as astounding as these statistics are, and as bad as these excuses really don't line up with Scripture, I believe there's one big reason that leads to um, a lot of us using these excuses And that is that some people just simply, matter of fact, I'd say a lot of people, in my experience, simply don't share their faith because they feel inadequate or unqualified to do so. They don't feel like they know enough. They don't feel like they're learned enough to share their faith. Well, let me encourage you with this. Neither were the disciples. Of all the disciples of Christ, only one of them really could be considered a learned person. Most of them were fishermen. And those that weren't fishermen were carpenters. Or in Paul's sense, a tent maker. They weren't Simon and Peter, James and John. They were not highly educated men. They were simple, everyday men who God touched. And they didn't know everything about theology, but they knew one thing. They knew they'd been touched by God through Jesus. And they told others about it. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you've experienced. And relating your experience back to people. That's all it takes. You don't have to know every verse of Scripture to share the gospel, which is a good thing because I know very few people that know every verse of Scripture. I don't know everything, but I know enough to know that God is real from His Word. I know that God loves me from His Word. I know God sent His Son to die for me from His Word. I know that God sent his son to die for everyone from his word. I also know that he's the only way to get back to God from his word. And I also know that from his word, the only way I can get back to God is to come through him. And the only way I can come through him is to repent of my sin and place my faith in him. That's what I know. 
And I know all that from Scripture. And by the way, I just summarized a word that we use a lot in church. That word is simply the gospel. See, the word gospel simply means good news. That's what the gospel is. If you literally translate the word gospel, it means good news. It is the good news that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death for you and for me and for everyone, that if we would repent of our sin and place our faith in him, we can have a relationship with God. That's all you need to know to share your faith. Now, some people may ask you a bunch of other questions. You may or may not have the answer to. But it really comes back to the gospel. I used to tell students this all the time because my master's degree is in apologetics, which is being willing to give, being willing and able and ready to give a defense of my faith in Christ, no matter what question they use, whether or not it comes from geography, history, archaeology, science, it doesn't matter. Whatever direction they come from, my training is to be able to give them an answer for my faith. But you know what it ultimately boils down to? Faith. I can explain and answer all of their questions, but eventually they're going to have to take a leap from head knowledge, intellectual knowledge, to faith. Why? Because Jesus, or the Word of God tells me in Hebrews chapter 11, that without faith it is impossible to please God. Unless someone comes to Him by faith, they by no means can come to Him, and it comes to a point where they simply have to trust Him. You can give them all the evidences in the world, but it simply comes back to, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he was going to do, and that he can save you if you believe and trust in what he said? That's what it comes down to. And so we, we have this, this idea that we just feel inadequate, but really when you boil that down, it, it's not that we're inadequate, it's just we're afraid, and we think we need to know a lot more than we really need to know. And so this morning... I want to teach you a simple gospel presentation using one verse of scripture that tells us everything we need to know about salvation in the gospel so that when we leave this place this morning, we will no longer feel inadequate or feel untrained. And we have to rely now on some other excuse if we're not going to, but we would never be able to say again, I don't know enough. Because if we know John 3.16, you know enough to share the gospel. So if you have your Bibles there in John chapter 3, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. John chapter 3, just to give you a little background, this guy named Nicodemus has come to Jesus and he's asking what it means, to, what, what it takes, what's required to inherit eternal life. And Jesus gives him the hardest statement there is probably to comprehend. And that is Jesus says, unless one becomes born again, he can by no means enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was like, how is that possible? Can someone literally re-enter their womb and be born a second time? And so Jesus is in this discussion with him about what it means to inherit eternal life. And this is what he says, starting in, in I'm going to start in verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, 
But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we look at this simple text this morning, that, Father, it may be a simple text that many of us have memorized, but it is so full of truth this morning that it would overwhelm our hearts, that, that you would use this text to show us and help us to realize that, Father, we are not inadequate in our knowledge. If we have a relationship with you, we know what you've done for us. We know enough to tell the world about your son. Now, Father, whether or not they accept that truth and they place their faith in Christ, that is not our responsibility. That's between you, your Holy Spirit, and them. But you have given us this commission to advance the gospel, to share this good news with everyone, and then what they do with that is between them, you, and the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would help us to understand that and help us to understand these principles this morning and change us by them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A famous Bible teacher was once asked this simple question. He said, what is the greatest thought you have ever had from Scripture? And he just simply answered this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, he just quoted the lyrics to a, a very famous children's hymn song that if you were with us this last fall, I preached on, Jesus loves me. And it surely is a great truth because it tells us that God loves me and God loves him, and God, but it also tells us God loves you, and it also tells us God loves everyone. Now, how do we know that? This author of that song didn't get that out of thin air. They got it from Scripture. Where did he get it from? The author of that song got it from Scripture, from Jesus' own mouth in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Now, I've had arguments with people over the years about what that meant because there's some people in theology, I won't mention their names, but uh, they, there's some people that I know in, in, that follow a theological system that do not believe that God loves everyone. They do not believe that God died for everyone, uh, but only for a select number of people. And they struggle explaining John 3.16. Because the word world in John 3.16 is a, simply the word cosmos in Greek. And it means the same thing that cosmos does in English. He loves creation. All of it. All of it. There's not a single aspect of creation he doesn't love. Well, what's creation? You need to go back in Genesis if you want to know all the things that he created that he loves. But the last thing that he created was mankind. And the simple difference was when he created something in Genesis, every time he finished creating it, he would look at it and say, and it is good. It is good. It is good. And then when he created man, he said it is very good good. God loves mankind. He loves people, all people. And so this scripture is a great truth. And so this morning as we, as we go through this idea and what's found in John chapter 3 
verse 16. I pray that God would use this to encourage you in your walk with faith, in walking Christ in faith, but it also encourage you that you know enough, if you know this scripture, you know enough to share the gospel with others. So what does John chapter 3, verse 16, what does it tell us that we need to know about the gospel? Let me give it to you really quick. Uh, there, there are five of them I want to point out to you. First of all, it tells us, John chapter 3, verse 16, tells us that God loves each and every one of us. That's what it tells us. For God so loved the world. He loves every person in this world. There is no disclaimer here. There is no asterisk here. You know, a, a few years back, that the, there was a, a big debate in Major League Baseball about uh, putting certain people into the Hall of Fame because they had taken performance-enhancing drugs. And they hit all kinds of home runs. And so the idea is we might stick them in the Hall of Fame, but if we do, we need to stick it in with an asterisk to let them know that, hey, these people did it, but they did it with these performance-enhancing drugs that these people 40 and 50 years ago didn't have. Okay, and so there's an asterisk, there's a disclaimer there to point out a difference. When it comes to God's Word and whether or not He loves people, there's no disclaimer. You may hear people say this, God, I've done things that you don't know about. There's no way God can love me. And you can simply take them to John 3, 16 and say, I guarantee you he loves you regardless of what you've done. How do I know that? Because in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says that God loves everyone. And he doesn't make a disclaimer there. He doesn't say God loves the rich people. He doesn't say God just loves the poor people. He doesn't say God just loves the righteous people or the unrighteous people. He doesn't just say God just loves men or God just loves women. He doesn't just say that, that God just loves young people or that God just loves older people. He just simply says God loves the world, which is everyone. We, we sing the songs like this and, and when we we're kids. And he, he loves all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are all precious in his sight. You fill in the blank with any color you want. If they're alive, it won't color what it don't matter what color they are. God loves them. And you can take them straight to scripture when they say, Well, I've done things you don't know about. There's no way God can love me. And you can say, I can assure you he does, because he said, even before you were born, even before you were born and you've done any of these things, over two thousand years ago, Jesus said, God loves everyone. That's the first thing that John 3.16 tells us. And let, let me tell you something. Any gospel presentation that doesn't start out with God's love, we need to start with that. Sometimes we want to start with everything else and then try to tie it back. Let me tell you something. People are a whole lot more responsive when they hear that God loves them in spite of who they are. And then you can take them and tell them all the other things. Now, I do believe with the statement, God loves them too much to leave them where they are. But I don't think that's the place to start. God doesn't want you to remain a drunk. God doesn't want you to remain an alcoholic. God doesn't want you to remain in drugs. God doesn't want you to remain doing X and X and X and X. No, God loves you. Let's start there. And then let the Holy Spirit do His work, which is the sanctification, getting us closer to Him working on our lives every day of the week. Golly, guys, church, I've met so many believers that start with that other stuff, and people are sitting there going, how can I ever be good enough? Hello? They can't be good enough, and you're going to see in just a minute that you don't come to Christ 
after you clean your mess up. You come to Christ, and then he cleans your mess up. It's a significant difference. And so it doesn't matter what they've done. We need to start with what Jesus started with, and that was simply that God loves the world. Now, the second thing that this teaches us is not only does it tell us that God loves each of us and each of them, but it also tells us that God gave his one and only begotten son for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, that's significant. Why did he have to give his own son? Now, I will admit, this is probably the hardest part of sharing the gospel. Why did God have to send his son? The reason why he had to send his son is to live for us and to die for us because of our sins. That's why. I've had people, when we were at um, Winter Jam, actually, we were standing in line. And this guy came up, and he was asking anybody in our group to share the gospel with him, how can he be saved or whatever. And uh, we had a few trying to get in this conversation. It ultimately led to Colton Hudson getting into a conversation with this gentleman, trying to share his faith. And and one of the things this guy did, and it was what I picked up on before I kind of walked away, because one of the students immediately looked at me and said, Dwayne, tell this guy. And I was like, that's not the point. You guys need to do this, okay? And so I kind of walked away. But before I walked away, the one thing that this guy said that stood out, and I've heard it before, is, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. And and sometimes we we need to let them know, scripturally, everyone's a sinner. Not just you, but me too. The the Bible tells us that that we have sin in our life. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, That means that's a blanket statement. There is not one, just as much as God loves everyone, that same everyone has sinned. There's not a single person other than Jesus who has lived a life completely perfect and devoid of sin. Some people have asked me that, and this is why I didn't get involved in the conversation. I wanted the youth that were standing there to learn this on their own. One of the best ways to answer that question is when they say, I've never sinned, is ask them if they know what the Ten Commandments are. And if they say yes, ask them, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? And then just walk through a couple of them, and it won't take long for them to realize, oh, yeah, they're a sinner, just like you and I are sinners. Because we break commandments 1, 2, and 3 all the time. Okay? And so there's all kinds of ways to do that. And so they need to understand that they are a sinner. And it's because they are a sinner that they need the Son of God. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Here's Here's the reality of it, to sum it all up and to make it simple. God is perfect. And God is righteous. And therefore... He demands, as a judge, that penalty be divvied out on sin. He can't sweep sin under the rug. He can't just let it go because he's perfectly righteous. If you want to take this, here's an easy way to put that. And I've said this a lot of times in this church, so it's just a reminder to you. But if someone killed your son and went to court and the judge said, Oh, it's not that big a deal. Um, we'll just let this go. Just don't ever do that again. It just kind of sweeps that under the rug. Do you believe that person is a righteous judge or an unrighteous judge? They're unrighteous. They didn't, there, there was no justice in that whatsoever. Well, God is a righteous judge. He can't just sweep sin under the rug. He has to deal with it. He's got to do something. And so what did he do? 
He says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. I, this is how I deal with sin. This is not me. This is what God says. Shedding of blood has to happen. How do we know that? Scripture also says, for the wages of sin is death. So that's, that's what ends up happening with sin. He can't just let it go. He has to judge it. And so we needed Jesus. Because Scripture tells us that when Jesus came and died on the cross, all of our sin, every sin we'd ever going to commit, was taken, and the penalty for that sin was placed directly on Jesus. And so the righteous judgment of God was poured out on Christ so that he could look at you and I and proclaim us to be set free, forgiven. Notice that you didn't do anything really for that other than trust Jesus. Jesus did all of that for you. Why? Because God loves you. So, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, and he had to do that because we're all sinners, and because God has to punish sin, and because of his love, he sent his son to be the perfect sacrifice for us in our sins. But then thirdly, it also tells us not only that God loves each of us, and that he sent his son for each of us because we needed him, but it also tells us we have to believe in Jesus in order to have eternal life. What's it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's the requirement for salvation. You have to come to a point where you believe in Jesus for who he is. Now, that word believe is not head knowledge. There are a lot of people out there that believe in Jesus. You ask them, if, yeah, I believe Jesus. I, I, I believe in him. But there's a significant difference. And the uh, best way to illustrate this, use a chair. I don't have a chair, so I use a bench. There's a lot of people that if I ask you, do you trust, do you believe this chair can hold you up? Everyone in this room would probably raise their hand and say yes. Right? But how do you know you truly believe that that chair can hold you up? What's the action that's required for you to prove you have faith that that chair would hold you up? There's one action everyone in this, chair, everyone in this room would have to do. Anybody know what it is? You got to sit in it. You got to sit in it. That's what that word believe means. It's not a head knowledge. It's a complete trust in it to the point you trust him with your life. You don't just believe with your head, you believe with your heart that he is the one and only Son of God. See, there are a lot of people, they are looking around the chair. Oh, they believe that Jesus may even be the only chair, but they're not willing to sit in the chair. You see, your mouth can say all kinds of things, but it's your actions that prove who you are. And that's what he's reminding his readers here. In order to be a believer... You have to come to the point where you're willing to trust Jesus with your life. And you can't trust him until you give your life over to it. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that you have to pay money for it. He doesn't say that you can earn it. He doesn't say that you clean yourself up physically or spiritually for it. That's not what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. You and I, and neither can they, and we need to make sure they know that. They can't earn salvation. 
They can't pay for it either. Jenna's grandmother, who didn't go to church, didn't get saved till what, 10 days before she died? Still sent a tithe every year to a church. In, in her mind, that was good enough. It's not. Guys, you can tithe all you want. It doesn't make you a believer. You, you can come sit in these pews. It doesn't make you a believer. You, you can do a lot of good things. It won't make you a true believer. As a matter of fact, the scariest verses in all the scripture, and I think I mentioned this last week, Matthew 7, at the judgment seat, Jesus said there will be many that will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do? And several things, we cast out demons and do many wonderful works. Prophesied in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't say you can earn it. He doesn't say you can pay for it. And he doesn't say you have to clean your act up for it. When I was at Lone Grove, the first guy I pastored as the pastor of the church at Lone Grove was a guy coming from Wilson, and I went out to visit with him and his family. And he said that he had become a believer in Christ, but he couldn't get baptized because he needed to straighten some things out in his life. And I began to share with him. You don't clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit cleans you up. Significant difference. He got baptized, began to walk with the Lord, began to be discipled in the Lord, began to be different, and the things in his life began to line out. Not perfectly, it's not possible. But that's not what he says. You don't clean yourself up for the gospel. We need to make sure they know that. You simply believe it, and you have to trust it with your life. Now, that means, and this is maybe more for us than it is what you would want to tell them. As a matter of fact, I will just say that way. This is more of a for maybe for us and something they would learn, but you might not want to put on them right off the bat. I do believe that anyone who truly trusts the Lord, there will be change. Okay? I believe that, but that's a disciple issue, not a salvation issue. And we need to make sure that they're distinguished and they're different. Because Jesus, God says, Jesus said that God gave his one and only son, that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That also tells us that salvation is exclusive. Not just anyone gets in. Jesus said the only way to get in is to come through him. Anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That means to trust in him for who he is, what he's done, and to turn your life over to him. The fourth thing that this teaches us is that, that believing in Jesus means we will not perish. It's the promise of escape. The promise of escape. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not or shall not perish. When we come to Christ, we have a promise that in him we will never perish, meaning we will never die. And you say, Brother Dwayne, that's impossible. People die all the time. We have funerals for people who are Christians that die all the time. In the last three or four years in our church, we've buried some great people of God that served in this church and worshiped here for years and years and years. How do you mean that we'll never die? That's because there's a significant difference between physical death and spiritual death. Everyone physically dies. 
everyone's body will eventually shut down, stop breathing, heart will stop beating. That happens to all of us. But spiritual death is different. And Jesus said that anyone who comes to him, at the moment they trust and believe in him for who he is, that person at that point crossed from death to life. Matter of fact, don't take my word for it. Listen to what he says in, um, in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John chapter 5, verse 24. He says it like this in John chapter 11, in verses 25 and 26. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, listen, will never die. The the, the, the truth from that and the glorious fact for that is, is when my body shuts down, my spirit doesn't die. Everything about Dwayne, because I'm a believer in Christ... When my body shuts down, I'll immediately go into the presence of the Lord. I will not die. My body will die. You guys, if something ever happens to me, and I'm still in Malika, and I'm still pastoring the church or just living around here or doing whatever, and I die, and you come to my funeral, and someone says he's dead, you don't believe it because I ain't dead. My body may have stopped working, but I'm not dead because I'm a believer in Christ. And I've been promised escape from perishment. My spirit will never perish. I will immediately go into the presence of God. And so will they. That's the promise. The gospel offers hope of of escape from punishment. But the fifth thing that it offers, and the last thing, is John chapter 3, verse 16, also tells us that when we turn our life over to Jesus by believing in him, he gives us what's called everlasting life. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but instead will have everlasting or eternal life. Everlasting life begins the moment you believe in Jesus and you begin to follow him, and it continues throughout this physical life and immediately continues at the moment of physical death into the very presence of God himself. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the gospel according to John 3, 16. God loves everyone. He loves everyone. He proved it by sending his son for us. Why do you have to send his one and only son? Because we're all sinners. And so he sent a perfect son to, to take care of the punishment that a just judge would have to give on sin. So he applied our sin to, God, to Jesus on the cross. What a wonderful gift that is. So he's given us his one and only son, and then it tells us that if we'll believe, and that means to trust him with who we are for what he's done, not trust in what we do, not trust in some trying to earn it or buy it, simply believe that he is the son of God, that when we do that, that we will not perish, we will not spend an eternity lost, we, our spirit will never die, but instead we're given the hope of eternal life to spend with him. The gospel, according to John chapter 3, verse 16. Guys, listen. Sharing the gospel is not as difficult as we try to make it. That's one verse of scripture. Paul sums up the gospel in the book of uh, First or Second Corinthians, I don't remember which, simply says, that the, here's the gospel, that Jesus came, lived, and died, and rose again. That, I mean, that's summarized Dwayne version, but that's what he said. That's the good news. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not even really confusing. You may ask this question. Is it really for me? Is it really something that I need to share with others? 
I'll just add, I'll leave you with this question. Ask yourself this. When you think, is this really something I need to be about? Ask yourself this question. Are you glad or aren't you glad that the person that shared the gospel with you thought it was important enough for them to tell you about it? I'm very glad that the person who told me the gospel felt it important enough to tell me the gospel so that I would have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. But if no one had ever told me, I could never respond to it. The same is true for the people you know. You may be the only message of the gospel they're ever going to hear. And if they don't hear it, they can't respond to it. I'm thankful for those in the history of the church for 2,000 years that have thought it important enough to tell others about it. And I pray that you and I are the church that says, you know what, that's our mission. It's not just about giving an offering, and that's good, and we need to do that. It's not just about giving an offering. It's about actively being involved, and I need to be involved because someone told me and because the people I know need to hear it themselves. Because if I don't tell them, they can't respond.